Amen. Thank you, Dr. Gatch. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation, chapter 2. And I really do appreciate your prayers for our family. Uh, we have, we've, I've helped hundreds of families prepare for a funeral, uh, but I've never prepared for someone in my family's funeral until this past week. And I was thinking really about many of you, uh, men especially, who are going to be pastoring and ministering at that, at that uh, level uh, of, of just how the Lord uh, will bring you and prepare you for those times. But I will tell all of you, uh, if you've never had a relative that has had Alzheimer's, it's a very terrible disease. And uh, it's something that slowly the, the brain begins to shut down. And, of course, the first thing that goes is memory. And I talked yesterday about my mother and how uh, even in uh, her uh, inability to remember, she still focused on, on the Lord and on soul winning to the very end. And even when we were singing hymns to her the other day, uh, I, have a, I had a sense that she was recalling some of the spiritual things that we were imparting to her. But I appreciate your prayer for her, for, for grace, and uh, that we'll have wisdom talking with the doctors and understanding uh, her need. I also would like to ask the college student body uh, to pray for our church family. The name Bill Weibel wouldn't mean much to most of you, but uh, Bill Weibel is truly a spiritual pillar of the Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, he was our first deacon. He was here when I came, and uh, a holy, godly man a man from Arkansas got saved and baptized. Got baptized in a river down there, and he was working at Lockheed when I came here. He was just about to give up on on the church. They'd had so many pastors come in and out and change this and that, and uh, I came and I said I'd really appreciate if you'd help me. And I had all these different ideas on how to decorate the auditorium and start a soul winning program and have a missions conference and hire this one and hire that one and start a school and start a college and buy a bus. And every time we've done anything like that, he would always say in the deacons meeting, pastor, if the Lord's putting this on your heart, we want to follow your faith. And uh, as a pastor, uh, you just, you cannot, you could never put into words what something and someone like that means. So we'll be having his homegoing service sometime probably next week. But pray for the church. This is the type of a man that touched so many. One of our men yesterday is a postal worker, uh, Brother Calvin Brookins. He came up to me, and he's, he's 60, and he was just weeping. He said, I prayed with Brother Weibel every Sunday morning right over here before church that we could be Holy Spirit-filled ushers. I'm sure going to miss him. And so pray for our church family as we uh, uh, say goodbye to Brother Bill Weibel. I'd appreciate that. And uh, we're thankful. We've, I'm keeping close track even during COVID. Uh, we're seeing families added and folks baptized, but you still miss someone who's been here for so long. Well, let's stand together. Revelation chapter 2. I'm preaching to you this morning from a Bible that uh, was given to me years ago. It has been signed by Lee Robertson. Tom Malone, and Monroe Parker. I saw that as I was coming down here this morning. And uh, those are three great men of God who are in heaven now, but who had an influence on our life. 
uh, let me encourage you to cherish the relationships and the speakers you hear in chapel and the, the, the people that influence your life because uh, this life is but a vapor. So learn what you can while you can from these great men of God. Well, Revelation chapter 2, and I know we're on a time limit here, so I'll try to just be brief, but I did want to have some time with you uh, today as I may not be able to fulfill a chapel slot later in the week. I hope you'll understand. But I wanted to preach just a brief message from Revelation 2, 1. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not, lament, hast not fainted. Nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Would you read verse 4 with me, please? Ready? Begin. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Let's pray. Father, would you uh, help me now in these moments to impart truth from your word that might be a blessing? We thank you for students. Thank you for guests. I see Brother England's father, and what a blessing to have him and others with us. May every guest and every student be blessed this morning from your holy word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Everyone starts the Christian life in love with Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you got saved? I remember the night that I was saved, April the 5th, 1972. My mother tells me, that as I walked out of their bedroom and walked down the hallway, that my face, she said, looked like the face of an angel. That probably was the only time. But I was so happy. My, I, there was an illumination. Uh, Jesus was mine, and I was his, and I was saved. And that's where it all begins, just being in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, over the years, if you're not careful, there can come so many other things that become an idol or get in the way, and even things that are not necessarily sinful things, such as relationships and ministry obligations and, uh, and all the different types of busyness of life. And we can fall in love with ministry. We can fall in love with people. We can fall in love with things. And if we're not careful, we can leave our first love. That was the problem with the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is an amazing town, and I was able to visit ancient Ephesus one time. Probably uh, the thing that impressed me the most was the ancient library, the Celsius Library, one of the great wonders of the world during that first century, uh, a library that stands at least the facade of it today, an amazing, amazing sight. It was also the location of the Temple Diana, one of the seven wonders of the world, and uh, it was well-renowned as a city that was known for its business enterprise and uh, all of the different archaeological and, and uh, architectural wonders. But in the midst of that city, God, through a soul-winning man named the Apostle Paul, 
raised up a group of believers. The Bible tells us that Paul went publicly and from house to house in that city, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the book of the Revelation, we find these letters to the churches of Asia Minor, of which this city of Ephesus was one. And as this letter is given, we hear the words of the Lord Jesus himself making an assessment of the church. And the Lord Jesus knows this church. He knows your home church. He knows our lives. And, and he knows, if you will, the good and the bad because, of course, he is all-knowing. And I want to take a moment with you and just survey the comments of Jesus to the church at Ephesus. Notice, if you would, in the first place, the Lord's compliment. He compliments the church. And in verse number 2, he says to them, I know your works. He tells us that this was a caring church. Uh, they were a working church. Uh, this is an interesting word here for works. It speaks of the fact that they were busy. They were involved with employment. They were employed in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I know your works. And he says, and I know your labor, how thou hast labored. The word labor often describes to the point of exhaustion, that they weren't just kind of piddling around with it, but they were laboring for the Lord. Whatever they did, uh, it was with all of their heart, soul, and might. Like the church at Thessalonica, no doubt their labor was a labor of love. And uh, they had a testimony that was uh, amazing. The early church was marked by this amazing missionary and evangelistic zeal. And we see it throughout the New Testament when we read about men like Stephen and Philip and Ananias and Barnabas and then Priscilla and Aquila. And whenever you read these names in the New Testament, you're reading about people that, that labored and they worked uh, to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord today for laboring churches, churches that do have soul winning and, and do have bus ministry and churches that do emphasize uh, a laboring for the Lord Jesus Christ, counseling and hospital visiting and all of these things. And Jesus says, I, I know your works, I know your labor. Notice what else he says, and he says, I, I see your patience. You know, sometimes when you work, you don't have the fruit that you'd like to have. Sometimes I remember knocking on a thousand doors in a given week, having maybe one visitor, maybe no visitors from all of that labor, and yet in the middle of that, you have to be patient and go out again and again and let God bring the fruit because it is the Lord that adds to the church. The Bible is very clear. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so this was a caring church, and it was evidenced by their work. But I also notice here that it was a contending church. Jesus says, I I see that you are contending against false teaching. Notice in verse 2, he says, Thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them as liars. Verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now last night I preached on loving our brother and that someone that hates the brethren uh, may not even be saved, First uh, John would indicate. But by the same token, we see here the Lord Jesus says, 
that the works of the Nicolaitans were something that he hated. And by the way, how many of you know that we serve a holy God? And you can study the book of Proverbs. There are things that God hates. Hands that shed innocent blood and a proud look. And, and, and here he says, I, I hate the false teaching of the Nicolaitans. And, and this church at Ephesus, they were a contending church. And I, I want you to note something here very quickly. That Jesus is commending the intolerance of the Ephesian church. You are living in an age where supposedly we are to tolerate absolutely everything. Homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, false teachers, Catholicism, that if, if, if we speak against any, any of it or if we believe any differently, that we are intolerant and supposedly uh, that that uh, uh, being tolerant is the virtue that all of us are supposed to have. But there is something we should not tolerate, and that is heresy. And I want you to see that, that the church at Ephesus was commended for their intolerance. And the Bible commands us that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, I have no time for contentious fundamentalists. And I speak here of fundamentalists that just are fighting for the sake of the fight. They're being mean. I think that type of an attitude has driven away uh, some young people perhaps uh, and uh, discouraged and disillusioned some. I don't believe in just having a bad attitude in that sense. But I believe that we must be willing to contend and to stand up for the truth and stand against error. And Jesus said, I see your works. And he says, I, I see that you're a caring church, but you are also a contending church. And, and the Bible commands us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Listen. Many times the younger generation today is so moved even by music. Oh, it feels good. Oh, the vibe is good. Man, that is awesome. And just like you're drawn into Old Navy because, uh, because you used to listen to rock and roll music, some people are drawn in to certain churches because of the vibe. But you shouldn't be drawn to a church because of the vibe or the decor. You should be drawn to a church because the truth is being preached there. So this was a church. They had some, some spiritual discernment, we might say. They were willing to uh, stand and be intolerant, if you will, in order to hold to the truth. They were a caring church. They were a contending church. Let me share with you thirdly, they were a consistent church. They were a consistent church. Look at verse 3. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them as liars. Here we see that this church had just struggled on faithfully for the Lord, faithfully standing, consistent with the truth of the word of God. And so the Lord compliments them. Now let me just pause right here. How many of you would love to hear the Lord say about you, I saw your works, boy, you really labored. And I saw how you handled those false teachers. I mean, you really labored. And you really stood with the truth. I would love to hear the Lord say to me someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so he, he com compliments them. But notice number two, the Lord's concern. You see, the Lord, as I said earlier, he knows these churches. And he has a concern here. And I want you to see it, verse 4, very quickly. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Could there be a Bible college student this morning that has drifted from the Lord even in the midst of a Bible college? Thou hast left thy first love. Their passion had lessened. Ephesians 1 and 15, the Bible says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints. In other words, they were known for their love. They were known for their love for Christ. But now we see that they had left their first love. One of the old hymn writers wrote a hymn. It simply said something like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love, speaking of the Lord Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us that it is the love of Christ that should constrain us, that should compel us to be faithful. But sometimes we can put other things in the front of Jesus Christ. It may be a relationship. It may be a possession. It may be an experience. But these things become as idols. And Jesus says, I want you to know that I can see when that's happening. And while we want to have a passion for ministry, we want, first of all, to maintain our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so their passion had lessened. And because of that, their witness had diminished. Their witness was now diminished. You see, the people who talk the most about Jesus are the people who stay in love with Jesus. And here we see in verse 5 an amazing statement. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Here we see their witness had diminished. They were fallen, the Bible says. Their light had diminished. The illuminating witness of this church had lessened. Why? Because their love for Jesus Christ had lessened. And so there was a lack of love which led to a lessening of service. The Bible says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Sometimes it's sin that becomes the idol in our life. And there is a sin in our life, and that sin is becoming something that is between us and the Savior, and it lessens our, our, our love and our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes relationships are like this. You'll have a fervent period of time, and then there will be a time where maybe it's not as warm as it once was. Sometimes that's our human nature, and uh, we begin to take people for granted. We see that in marriage. Sometimes in college, you'll see a young man, he's opening the door, he's buying a card, he's giving a rose, he's doing all this stuff. Five years later, they're married, and, and he's not opening the door, and he's not giving the card, and, and suddenly, he's not loving like he once did. I heard about a husband that had surgery at a hospital and he was coming out of the anesthesia and after a series of tests that he'd had in the hospital, his wife was sitting right at the bedside there, right waiting for him as he came out of the anesthesia and, and, uh, and his eyes began to flutter a bit as he saw his wife and he looked up at his wife and he said, you sure are beautiful. And then he kind of fell back to sleep and after a little while he began to open his eyes again and he saw his wife still there and he woke up again, and he said to her, he said, you are really cute. And, and she said, what happened to beautiful? He said, the anesthesia is wearing off. Sometimes people are like that. The anesthesia wears off. But what a tragedy that the church at Ephesus 
was wearing away in their love for Jesus Christ himself. They had lost their first love. Think about these types of verses. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Do you know why Monroe Parker and Lee Robertson and do you know why Dr. Tom Malone, do you know why I asked those elder men to sign my Bible? Because they had lived into their 80s and had stayed faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. They kept their first love. The Lord gives them a compliment. You're working hard. You're laboring. You're, you're contending. But I'm concerned. And so you've lost your first love. Then let's notice finally this morning his counsel to the church. What does he tell them to do? Notice if you would. He tells them in verse number five, remember. Would you say that with me, please? Remember. Say it again. Remember. Sometimes we need to remember. What do we need to remember? We need to remember where we were when we got saved, where our heart was, our first love. He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Psalm 143 and verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the works of thy hands. You, you remember what God has done for you. You look back to the day when you were saved. And, oh, God says, listen, I want to counsel you to do something. And students, I want to counsel you to do something. Remember when you got saved. Remember when you surrendered to ministry at teen camp. Remember when you came to Bible college and now finishing up a first semester. To the glory of God, remember how good God has been to you. But then he says another word that sometimes we don't like to hear, but notice it says, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. Let's say that word, repent. Say it with me. Repent. Repentance is not only that changing of heart when you are saved, repentance is also a part of the Christian life. That is to say, when God reveals to you that your love for him has diminished or there is sin in your life, then even Christians should repent and we should agree with God and turn away from that sin and that error and turn back to him in sweet fellowship with a change of heart and attitude. Proverbs 21 and verse 2 says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Someone might say this morning, oh, Brother Chapel, I mean, I'm in Bible college, and, you know, I'm, I, I did my Christian service on Sunday, and, and uh, I mean, I know that I've got the few things in my heart that maybe are too big and bigger than they ought to be, and I know I've, I've got a relationship that's maybe higher magnitude than it should be, and, and I know that I haven't really had devotions lately or really walked in the Spirit, but, but you know, honestly, I, I don't know that I should have to repent because every way of man is right in his own eyes. Here's the question this morning. If God was writing this letter to you, would he say, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee? Would he say there's something I'm concerned about? Because it's really not what I think of myself. It's really what God is revealing to me. We see the Bible is very clear that repentance was necessary. He says, I want you to remember. I want you to repent. And then thirdly, he said, I want you to return. I want you to return back to me. I want you to have that fellowship. Psalm 51 and verse 12, the Bible says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Oh, I'm so thankful today that I have a Savior that even allows me to repent. That he says, come back, come back. Let's get back to where we were. Let's get back to that first love. You know, when you leave here in a 
eight or ten days, which is hard to believe, and take a few more days, I understand, beyond that to finish your studies. I hope that you'll enter into the winter break not merely having achieved some academic uh, accomplishment, not merely having enjoyed maybe a missions conference or uh, the few activities that we've had or uh, the relationships that you've enjoyed, but more than all of that, I hope you'll go home still in love with Jesus and more in love with Jesus and walking with him as the number one priority of your life. I have somewhat against thee, Jesus said. You've lost your first love. Students, don't lose your first love. Stay in love with Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, shall we?